0: The series that we're doing this Advent season is one of waiting or longing, waiting or longing. And last week, Mark Van Est preached on waiting for a king, longing for a king. And and Advent is is really defined as this waiting and looking forward to. For most of us, and certainly in my experience, Advent was a looking forward to Christmas and, and Christmas Day. But in the church calendar, it actually started with the focus on looking to the return of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, not just the incarnation when Jesus was born as a baby in the manger in Bethlehem, but looking forward to his return when he comes and he makes all things right. And and I think it's actually appropriate for this season to to be really about both. They're deeply connected, and, and we need to be waiting and longing and thinking for both. And today, in particular, as we look at Romans 15, verses 8 through 13, we're talking about longing for hope, and sometimes waiting for hope. I recognize that there's, there's some level at which I, we could have talked about longing, waiting, hoping for different things to come, hoping for a king, those kind of things, right? But if we're honest, oftentimes we might wish that that were the case, that we're hoping, but we really, we're really longing for hope. We don't even have that hope. And so we, we, we long for it. Maybe we pursue it. We look for it. We want to know how we get it. And uh, as we talk uh, this morning, there's a lot in Scripture about hope, so we won't cover all of it. But hopefully we we move toward thinking about it in a way that gives us more hope in this Advent season. I don't know what you're hoping for in Advent and Christmas season. It's going to be something different for everybody. Maybe you're hoping for... Uh, you know, just the right present on Christmas morning. That that was often the case for me as I was growing up, and sometimes even now, like, are there are there things that I want, or you're like Ralphie in A Christmas Story. It was all about the Red Ryder BB gun, which, of course, he would shoot his eye out, but uh, that, like, he, he dreamed about it, like vivid dreams about longing for this uh, particular gift, right? Or you just want that right Christmas experience, and I don't know if you have seen, there's actually a, a I think new this year, follow up to a Christmas story. It's Ralphie grown up and he's a dad and his dad has passed away and he's longing for the perfect Christmas experience. He's trying to get that perfect Christmas experience with his family. So maybe we're longing for that, for good time with family. Those are appropriate longings, right? We're, we're longing for a relationship uh, to, to experience the beauty of the Christmas season, maybe. But for some of us, it might be that we're just longing to make it through. This season, it's it can be a hard season because often it highlights what is what is lacking because it's supposed to be so magical and great, right? And so when there's loss or pain or hurt, uh, that is amplified in a time like this. And so it might be that we're just longing to make it through uh, this season. There's a song that I'm going to commend to you. I just learned. I've, I've never heard of this artist, Jess Ray, before. It came up. Spotify recommended it to me. And she has a song called Gloria, Gloria. And uh, I really like the song, period. But uh, it's talking about this time. And it says, it's okay if you need to admit that this season lost some of its magic. It reminds you of all your hurt and loss and how you're crying out for kingdom come. That There's sometimes this highlight of our hurt and loss. And so we're not experiencing what, what we see out there, the lights, and the Christmas movies and all those kind of things. I talk about uh, this a lot, but we, it's helpful to remember that we kind of have two celebrations side by side uh, during this time. There's all the Christmas movies and lights and all those things. And uh, and we would make a mistake if we felt like we had to connect Jesus to those things, to the commercialism of, of Christmas. That would that would be a mistake to demand that Jesus be associated with all that, right? Um, but we as a church, as we gather and we think about Advent, as we think about Christmas, we're celebrating the birth of of Jesus. And I think it's completely appropriate to celebrate and, and take part in all of the other Christmas celebrations, but we as followers of Jesus want to root our hope and our desires and our longing in who he is as God Almighty come to earth as a child. And my hope for you, you as individuals, me, you as families, our family, our church family, is that Advent would be one in which we grow in our appreciation of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished in our lives and what he promises is to come in this world. That hope in him and hope in his gospel is everlasting hope. And it's sure and certain, and that's what we see throughout scripture. So as we look at this passage, we're going to see two things. We're going to see that hope recognizes the waiting. Hope recognizes the waiting and the longing, and then hope transforms the waiting and the longing. Hope recognizes the waiting, and hope transforms the waiting. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would meet us in the power of your Spirit, that even as verse 13 here tells us, that the power of the Spirit may give us hope. We pray that this morning. In your name, amen. Hope recognizes the waiting. I mean, the, the very definition of hope recognizes that there's something not yet realized. Uh, if we think about that classic definition of faith in Hebrews 11, that, that faith is uh, this, this I, I knew I was gonna, I, I, it's one of those verses that I have memorized. And then as I, uh, I, I should have just turned to it and I didn't, but I am now. So uh, Hebrews 11 verse one Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's this recognition, faith, and hope connected in a very uh, important way. But there are things not yet realized. So there's going to be some waiting, and, and as a result, longing. I mean, hope recognizes that. We, we don't like to wait, and, and, and we often think, not only in just life in general, but particularly maybe in our relationship with the Lord, that we deserve certain things in a particular time and we get frustrated with God when it doesn't happen in that way. That's a a normal experience for us to have. And so it's helpful for us to sit in the stories of scripture that constantly recognize that waiting is a part of God's work. It's It's a part of the way that he works in this world. So in verse eight, Paul says, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness. The, the circumcised here, that's it's Israel. That's the people of God. That's the Jews. And God worked through his people, through Israel. That was the way that he related to his people and brought redemption into this world. But he always said that it was gonna go beyond that. And so as there's this promise of Christ becoming a servant to Israel, then there is the recognition that in order to confirm that truthfulness, and confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, Jesus comes. This is this recognition that the story happens over a really long period of time. The promises to the patriarchs that are referred to here in verse 8 happened centuries before Jesus came. There is a lot of waiting in scripture so that all of those, most of those who walked with the Lord, walked with Yahweh over the years, and experience his redemption and blessing. They did so waiting for the Messiah to come. And they didn't see it in their lifetime. This is the recognition that there's a promise given to Abraham. Even at that time he was Abram. His name hadn't changed in Genesis chapter 12. And God says, I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. And he goes on to say that the, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through Abraham. At the time, though, Abraham didn't even have an heir, a son that could create a family, much less a nation. So the promises of God, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of waiting. Generations of waiting, actually. And and when Jesus comes, we we find ourselves at, at this point where God hasn't spoken to them through the prophets in 400 years. There's a lot of waiting there that they aren't even seeing play out in their own lifetime. This promise that The Gentiles will praise God and worship him, which is probably, maybe everybody in this room, if not mostly everybody, Gentiles, that is not of the Jewish people, not of the nation of Israel, that we're invited into the people of God as a fulfillment of this promise centuries in the making. Now, yeah, let's be honest. We we wish that it didn't take so long, but this is the way that God continually works. And he's calling us into that very story. I've mentioned this verse before because a lot of people have memorized it over the years, but Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. And many of us have memorized it because it's a beautiful and great promise from the Lord. But we, we don't often look at verse 10 that comes right before it. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for you, my, sorry, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. It's pretty significant what he's saying there. He's, he's given this pro, giving this promise, but he says it's going to happen in 70 years. I mean, think about if somebody came to you and gave you this promise of, hey, everything is going to be great. I'm going to give you this thing. It's going to be awesome. And it's coming in 70 years. Now, for those in this room, the, the likelihood is there might be a few of you that are listening that might be 80, but most of us are actually going to be dead. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the reality, and and there's a few things going on there. One is the Lord and the recognition that He works corporately, and uh, that He works uh, over a time and a period that is not exactly how we would do it. It's not how we would. We're, and, and we're conditioned more and more to not want to wait. We live in we talk about this a lot, right? We live in a culture that is the culture of now and of, of not waiting, of not having patience. I, I think about uh, movies and uh, we can, I could pull up my phone right now and there are just thousands of movies that I could start watching right now. And I'm not going to, and I encourage you not to at this moment, but it used to be, you know, when I was young, you know, back when I was a boy, <laughs> no, I, you know, I would have to wait if I didn't go see it in the theater, I would have to wait months or a year or longer for it to come on TV and then hope to catch it at the right time. And then video stores came about, right? And I could go and I could either pick out a. My friend Jeffrey had a Betamax player and a VHS player. So you'd pick out one or the other, and then you go home and then you watch it. You have to wait if somebody didn't rewind it. You got to rewind it. And then maybe we experienced the time you had to wait for the disc to be delivered in the mail. And then you can watch it. And now it's all on demand. I mean, this is just like across the board. I was at Home Depot earlier this week and looking for a new shower head, and they didn't have what I needed. So I ordered one online. And I did, went and I did some grocery shopping. And when I got home, it was already there. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I'm still a little bit amazed by that. But it's, it's, it's building within me this pattern of not waiting. I don't want to wait. And, and that's true for the things that we buy or the ways in which we're entertained or for our relationships with one another. We don't want to wait for people to uh, to grow or to learn. Uh, and, and yet this is the story that is ever before us. And we need these constant reminders that God is in the process of doing something over a long period of time. And he is inviting us into that and it's good and beautiful. He's a God of process even before the fall and we entered into this time of needing to grow spiritually, what the Bible often refers to as sanctification. In the New Testament, talking about becoming more like Jesus, that is a process. It takes a lot of time. But even before that, dealing with our sin and our rebellion against God, God was a God of process. The creation itself and all of its goodness and beauty was a process. At, at the very least, it was six 24-hour days. But it depending on how you read scripture, and we read scripture as true and right, and it is about God creating things, but that could have been over a much longer period of time. But regardless, it was a process. He didn't say, boom, there's creation. He is a God of process, and he's a God of process with us. And that is a good and beautiful thing. I I, I thought about the, I actually got to share a multi-course meal with my wife this week, and it it was a fun event, right? It's very different than, you're in a hurry and you grab an energy bar or a shake for your meal, right? And there are times when that's appropriate, but that's a completely different experience than having a multi-course meal uh, with friends and family. So, some of you guys may have done a British Christmas. There are like 12 courses and you play games in between and uh, you have directed conversation and jokes and poppers and all this stuff, right? It's an experience and it's beautiful and fun. And, and we, we should... Like, pursue those kind of opportunities. Let me encourage you, you you don't need to do multi-course meals every time you have a meal. That's not what I'm suggesting. But I I would say, don't just fly through your meal every time. Use it, we find in in Scripture, is you know, beautiful opportunity to interact with other people. to, To experience the goodness of God together. Because we're created to experience things over time and through process. Even when it's hard. Even when it's difficult. Now, there are times when we, we wish that it happened faster. And sometimes we're able to look back on that and see what the Lord was doing over time. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we struggle with the ability to see that. And, we, and, and the reality is we might not see it until the second coming of Jesus, when he comes and he makes all things right. We may not see why the process took longer than we wish it did. But... The, the promise is that God is doing this amazing story. We talked about in Sunday school this morning that we, we reminded ourselves of, as we looked at the book of Revelation that God is redeeming all of creation. He, he's doing this massive work and he is inviting us into it. So recognizing the waiting, hope acknowledging the waiting is, is actually helpful for us to then move forward with hope. Because the Bible doesn't push past that. It doesn't say there's, there's nothing to see here. It acknowledges the reality of the brokenness in which we sit and wait. It acknowledges the reality of the fact that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. And yet it promises us that something beautiful and good is happening. And that is where hope transforms the waiting. It transforms the way in which we wait and long. And it does that in a few different ways. The first is by bringing us what is true. It brings us the truth. Look at verse eight. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness. And it goes on to say that the truthfulness is this recognition that God fulfills his promises, that he is working this story and that it is right and true and good and that we are invited into it. This, the story that we gather around, the story of, of Christmas that is, is told to us in the scriptures, is for us to experience what is true and therefore to give us hope. And, and, and we find this in verse 13, God is revealing this truth when he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. There's a truth to believe. There's a truth that God has revealed to us. We didn't read verses one through seven, but in verse four, there is already this conversation about hope And there is an acknowledgement by Paul that the scriptures, the encouragement from the scriptures give us hope. The scriptures are that revelation of God's truthfulness of what is right and true. And now more than ever, we're in this time where we're asking what even is truth? We're we're offered uh, alternative truths or my truth or your truth. We're offered uh, the the challenging stories, the conflicting stories of what is true, fake news, real news, real story, fake story. Uh, we, we struggle in this time, right? And yet as the church, we're, we're recognizing we're gathered around something that is right and good and true. The story of God becoming a man, of being born in a manger, we believe it is real and true. The fact that he rose from the dead we believe that that is real and true. It's not just a myth. God is telling us again and again that this story that he's working, that he's been working for millennia even, is real and true, and we're invited into it. And that matters. I, I, w- one of the things that happens in our house and happens in our our Thanksgiving week where we just sit in a house and play games and watch Hallmark movies and Harry Potter movies because they're often... Uh, a lot of Mar- Harry Potter marathons, right? So one of them was on, it was the fifth one. So fifth book, fifth, fifth movie uh, is this moment that happens a lot in the series where Harry Potter, if you're not familiar, uh, is the hero uh, and he's a boy wizard and uh, his parents were killed by the evil Lord Voldemort and uh, who was in some sense uh, away and off uh, the picture. People thought he was dead, but he's back. And he is trying to take over. And there's a whole storyline continually of different camps and whether or not you believe that Voldemort is back or not. And what is true matters deeply because it affects the way that you move forward. You're either going to be prepared to fight this evil force that is coming or you're not. And, uh, and you, you watch and, you know, you're, you're the reader, so you know what's happening, right? You're like, it's true. It's true. You guys need to do something different, right? And, uh, and when the people who don't believe that he's back don't, you get frustrated, right? We, we face that. If we're followers of Jesus, then, then we face the fact that there are many that are saying, you know, that, that's crazy. Or this particular thing is crazy. And, uh, and I can't believe you believe that. And, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might be here thinking, you guys are crazy, right? I, I, I get that. And and there's long conversations that could be had about what it is to believe and why we believe and uh, why we think it's reasonable to have faith. And we would love to have those conversations. What are the reasons to doubt Christianity? Let's talk about those, right? Let's not just push them to the side. But the reality is we gather here because we believe this is true. And if it's not true, then let's go home and I need to find a different job. But this is true. And the churches believe this is true. And that transforms the way that we experience waiting. Waiting. Not only for what is true that has happened already, but for what is to come, we'll talk about in a moment. So the waiting is transformed by hope, by bringing truth, by offering joy and peace. Look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. When we believe the truth that was brought by the Lord, there is joy and peace offered. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope, There's something beautiful offered. It, it's, it's not denying the waiting and that the Bible also does not deny that the waiting is hard and it's full of mess and sorrow and loss and hurt in all kinds of ways. But it says, even in the midst of that, there is hope that is offered. There is peace and joy that is offered. That the hope that is offered and that peace and joy is more powerful than the sorrow and hurt and pain. It, and again, not saying that those things just go away, that the hurt and pain goes away. There, the, we often hold those alongside one another. But the picture that scripture gives us is that the, the hope is ultimately more powerful because it's a hope in a God who overcomes all of the things that are not right in this world that we're not experiencing yet, but we will one day. There is joy and peace offered to us. And we do recognize that it comes at the end of verse 13 through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we're just able to drum up. I, do not hear me saying, just hope more. You know, I, I know things are hard and you're waiting, just have hope. It, it's, I, I recognize that it's not that simple. We can't just make it happen in our lives. But what we find here promised in the scriptures is that the power of the Holy Spirit allows us to abound in hope. And so we look to him, we trust in him We pursue him. There are ways that we we continue to rest and trust in him to to build that hope, to look to the truth that he reveals. And that within that, we, we recognize that we have to do it together. So this isn't just something we do alone. That the hope transforms the waiting, not only by bringing us the truth, by offering us joy and peace, but it does so by drawing us into his family. This is the picture that we find in verses 9 through 12, these quotes from the Old Testament. This recognition that God is truthful. He gave promises to the patriarchs, and they're fulfilled now in Jesus Christ, the root of Jesse, there in verse 12. But there are multiple verses quoted, actually, from every genre of scripture from the law, from the prophets, from the historical books, and from the writings or the wisdom books. All are quoted here in reference to these promises to the patriarchs being fulfilled in Jesus drawing in the Gentiles. And the significance here is that the people of God is now open to every nation, every people, every tribe and tongue and nation. They were all invited in to be a part of the people of God. This is very much a corporate thing. He he cares about us individually. It matters immensely who we are as particular human beings created in his image, but he's inviting us into his family. And this picture of the Gentiles being drawn in is a picture of the growing family of God and his blessing. That the hope that he offers is not just for Israel anymore, not just this one nation state, but for everybody. This is big picture fulfillment of promises from centuries before, And these promises even, given to us about 2,000 years ago, big picture, but one of the things that Paul is saying is this matters for you now. Verse 13, this promise of the God of hope filling us with joy and peace through the power of his spirit that we might abound in hope, that is at this time for the church in Rome. But this scripture, this letter is given to the church for the rest of history. It's given to you and to me. This big story that's been playing out over all this time, what Paul is saying, what the Lord says to us now through the power of his spirit is this is for you and this is for me. This is hope is offered to us that we're drawn into that. He's given really big picture stuff here, but he's saying, I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of the family of God and experience the hope that is offered here. Hope transforms the waiting by bringing us the truth, by offering us joy and peace, by drawing us into his family, and ultimately by this picture of the work of Jesus, by his strength serving our weakness. Again, we didn't read verses 1 through 7, but it is this call for the strong to love and care for and serve the weak. And the great example given is Jesus. There's no greater example of the strong serving the weak. That's the picture of the incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas time. That God, in all his perfection and greatness and power, entered into our mess and met us and accomplished for us salvation and hope. Ten chapters before this one, Paul talked about hope in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, it is declared right. We've had our sin covered. It says we have peace with God. Again, this promise of peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Hear these these same phrases, hope and joy in the glory of God because of what he's done through Christ. Not only that, so he's recognizing the waiting. We rejoice in our sufferings. There's a recognition of the waiting and that that can be a suffering time, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's the same themes that we find 10 chapters later, that his hope is certain and sure, that it's given to us through the work of Jesus. It's a part of his great story and he wants us to be a part of it. And he does it by his work and not ours. Again, we can't drum up hope. We can't make ourselves right before God and bring justification and all that. But because he has, we can have hope. The last way in which hope transforms the waiting is by pointing to the future. There is this promise already of justification, of being drawn into his family now. But there's a picture of what that means for the future. The hope for the second return of Jesus we find some of these same references that are quoted here in verses nine through 12. We see them again in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> Sorry, in the book of Revelation. First, uh, we'll look at chapter five, verse five. And here is John having a revelation, a vision of what is to come in the future. And there's this moment where there's a scroll to be opened and it's gonna reveal the truth is going to reveal the end and it's going to reveal the glory of God and all things made right. And, and John begins to weep because he they couldn't find anyone worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And verse five says, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and it's seven seals. This is Jesus as the fulfillment of chapter 15 in Romans, verse 12, which is a reference to Isaiah. It's the story played out, and he's saying in the end, this root of David, this root of Jesse, same lineage, that it is going to lead to ultimate hope. It's going to lead to all things made right. So that in the last chapter of Revelation, we see verse 16. Jesus is speaking and he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. This goes back to the king, the promise and longing for the king that Mark talked about last week. It's, uh, it's also a reference, again, to what we've looked at in Romans. It is the promise that he is the one who will fulfill all things. And it is the promise that has just been made in chapter 21 of Revelation That when he comes, he will be with his people. We will be his people. He will be our God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is the promise of what is to come. And it matters for us now because as we think about the mess and the suffering and the waiting, it matters what is to come. We can have hope, and that hope is certain and sure because no matter what comes, we, we, we are tempted to put our hope in all kinds of things, the feeling of Christmas season, the relationships that we have, but what we find here is that death is gonna be done away with, the, that thing that destroys all those other hopes, and that death is done away with through Jesus so that we can, no matter what comes, hope in him because it is certain certain, And sure. My prayer is that that is exactly what we experience in this Advent season and every season after, that we would have the hope of Jesus because of his work in our lives. Let me pray.